Welcome to another episode of Consider This Question. I'm Drew Moss, and I'm here with Jim Johnson and Ryan Vincent today, along with Steve Broadway, who's turning knobs and flipping switches for us today. Um, it has been, at least for me, it has been forever since I've been here. I think it's been at least a couple months for me. I don't know about you guys when the last time you were in here, but um, a long time since we've gotten in here to do one of these. And uh, for that reason, we're going to wade into a, a really easy, kind of less controversial topic <laughs> to start off by talking That's through politics. Yeah. Yeah. Politics and religion. What could possibly <laughs> go wrong? With us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Good thing I, I don't have a lot of opinions about either of those. Yeah. Subjects, no. So. Um, so the question that we're going to be considering today, we're going to be talking through a little bit is this, in, in what ways should a Christian engage politics or what should a Christian's approach to politics be? And, uh, this is, I mean, this is actually one that I'm, I'm kind of excited about because this has been a question I have wrestled with for basically my, my whole adult life went through kind of a phase where I always called myself a political agnostic, basically who knows if any of this is worth doing or if, if there's a right answer to any of this. And, and uh, probably to the point I kind of pulled back to the point of honestly like irresponsible um, and, and trying to engage back again with it a little bit. And, and yet still um, I feel like I'm kind of feeling my way through this. Like I, I still don't really have um, the answers to all this. And I think that there's a, a lot of people – um, in our church and a lot of believers who feel very much the same way. And maybe even if they didn't feel as as agnostic as I used to be about it, um, years like this can sometimes, I think, mess with people a little bit and, and wonder, where where do we go? How do we do this? And so, so I'm excited to get to hear you guys' thoughts on this a little bit and, and talk through some of this. Uh, first thing I want to kind of throw out to you is, is this question, what are, what are our options? In this, and in other words, historically, how has the church, um, how has the church tried to approach politics? Because this is this is a question older than America, right? Yeah, yeah. This isn't just since much. we got into democracy, we've had to yeah. kind of think through this a little bit. This is almost as as far back as the church goes. The church has to ask, has had to ask, what is our role in the government, in politics, and those kinds of things. And so how? what are some of the ways, I'll start with you, Ryan, what are some of the ways that historically kind of the, the church has tried to approach this? Hmm. Um, the earliest church would have had, um, they would have had an idea, and this is actually the, the clearest stuff we have on politics is, in terms of, of scriptural support, is what the early church was doing in light of living underneath the rule of the Roman Empire. Hmm. And it was... It was generally a posture of submission to, out of reverence for God's sovereign decision to place these particular entities in leadership. And, and so it was, a, it was a position of submission. Um, and then over time, it grew into a posture of, well, we'll influence the leadership. And this is, this, and you'll, you'll actually see as it kind of grows and then stumbles and grows and stumbles. That will 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 influence the leadership all the way up to the point in the early 300s where um, Emperor Constantine comes on the scene and he's the first kind of um, worldwide or major major political figure to be both a Christian and hold a very yeah. significant office in terms of being able to set Christian policy and and determine kind of how people think and worship. So you have Constantine 
kind of legalized Christianity, and now you have Christianity for the first time in the true seat of power, in the driver's seat. And that kind of ebbs and flows over the years. You have Charlemagne in the what, early 900s, late 800s, um, kind of in the French area, become a very powerful person that's associated with the church in Rome. So you have the church becomes real powerful in Europe mm-hmm. at that point, and really, really influential, and probably the most dominant voice in terms of policy and government. And then through time, as the, the uh, Reformation takes place, at least the Protestant side of things becomes a little less powerful. You have a little bit of issue with the Church of England, but let's jump all the way to kind of how it takes place in North America. The Puritans, for instance, people, come to, people will claim kind of glibly that the Puritans came to the United States to escape persecution and to establish a place where religious freedom was kind of mm. the rule. They left to escape persecution, but to come set up their own community that was governed by, like they wanted to control things, but they wanted it to be a Christian culture, a Christian community. Um, And then you have the United States founded on this idea that um, you should be free to worship however you want. And then, um, so we have some religious leaders at that point at the highest level and some not so religious leaders, but all of these ideas that religion should be practiced freely. And so you do have a religious component to the governmental system. Yeah. And then um, it comes all the way into the 1900s to the 20th century where you have people really wanting Christian presidents, really thinking that that is one of the most valuable things. And if we can't, we'll influence it at the highest level. We'll create the the religious right. We'll create the memorial majority. These Mm -hmm. things, these systems that bring... So if I were to say like broad strokes, what are your options? Your options are total abstinence from like power. And we're just going to like suffer as we await the coming of the kingdom. And then there is the, we want to impress our Christian ideals at the highest level in yeah. our in our society. And that would be, we want to have a Christian president. We want to have a Christian Congress and Christian Supreme Court and all that. Yeah. And then there's a spectrum in between where it's we want to influence or we want to pray for our president. And so there's these two poles and Mm -hmm. then navigating the in-between is the really complicated part. And and, and even kind of the difficulty, even the the simplicity of the way I form the question, how has the church approached this through history is even kind of a, it kind of sets it up in a weird way because the truth is you have in the, you have sometimes where the church's running to kind of have power and, and really influence. And then you'll have like one part of the church who pull the Anabaptists or whoever yep. who pull away completely. So yep. you can't even fully say this is what the church did yep. in the 1700s or, you know what I mean? And one piece that I would add that <clears throat> kind of shapes our thinking about all of this is actually the Old Testament. So you don't just have how the church reacts to mm-hmm. government and to politics, but you actually have... Um, in our in the story of our narrative, our our, our meta narrative, the big picture of how God has worked it out, is that God had a specific people and He anointed specific kings and He gave them a specific law, mm-hmm. and so when we look at Israel and we look at how uh, they functioned, then we see this this blending together of religion and life, yep. uh, religion and politics, and so I think that actually has come to feed a lot of our thinking. Yeah. Um, because when we look at it, and well, aren't God's laws true? Yes. And shouldn't everybody follow God's laws since He made them all? Well, yes. So then, why don't we? And kind of, kind of leads from that that yes. mentality. So I don't think there's any way to escape 
just the influence of the Old Testament narrative, particularly the establishment of the nation of Israel and mm-hmm. priests and kings and kings bowing down, in essence, to to Yahweh through uh, the priests and through the prophets. Yeah. So prophets can come in and they correct kings. Yeah. And so, you know, we just... Uh, we we still think in many ways that that's maybe what God wants. Maybe yes. that's God. Maybe that's what God's kingdom is. But what if we oversimplify things and we say like, isn't God's ethic and God's morality the perfect ethic and morality? Therefore, shouldn't we want the world to operate based on that that notion? Follow Him or not, we would like them to operate according to His character and and the ethic that He sets. And and I think most of would be like, yeah, I think that'd be kind of the best possible situation. And then when you walk into an election season, that question is so loaded and complicated all of a sudden. Yeah, and I don't know if we're going to stay on this, but I want to just kind of reiterate, because I think it is the foundational issue. The foundational issue is how Ryan began. And if you go back and listen, here's what Ryan said at the very beginning of how the church looked at it. They submitted out of an understanding that God is sovereign. And I would say that no matter what we do, no matter what we talk about, you know, we, we've got to come back to that. Mm-hmm. We've got to literally say, okay, however we decide to engage, however we decide to interact, however we decide to influence, we have to fundamentally agree on um, kind of that universal principle that God is the one who is sovereign over these things. Mm-hmm. Therefore, there is a kind of a, a, a natural submission that we would have, and I, I, I think this really hits us weird, you know, as... Mm-hmm as politics goes in another direction, as our culture goes in another yeah. direction. This really one hits us, it hits us weird. How do we then submit? And yeah. let's put it in its first context. It's the Apostle Paul telling Christians under the Roman Empire, um, even under more of the local rule of the synagogue and the local rule of magistrates, hey, don't be argumentative. Don't be quarrelsome. Uh, be about your own business. Don't be a meddler. I mean, these are things the Apostle Paul teaches. Yeah. Don't be these things. And it's better to submit whenever possible so that, and this is what I think the driving force is, so that you can stay on task. Because mm-hmm. our task is, okay, I'll, our task is not government reformation. Our task is the glory of God by cultural reformation yeah. mm-hmm. through the preaching of the gospel and the living out of the gospel in the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, it's the, yeah you said it there, the kingdom. It's, it's the kingdom of God, not necessarily the kingdom, whatever nation, state, or kingdom that we find ourselves in now, um, living physically here, but this kingdom. So, but that that kind of leads to this. So, I think that we can all agree on that. That all Christians can say our business is the kingdom of God. Our our you know that's that's where our main focus ought to be. So then, what does that actually mean for how much engagement there should be with the kingdoms of the earth? Like should. Should you know Ryan listed off these these different things? There's a spectrum from total abstinence to complete trying to kind of gain control and power. Is there a right and wrong in that? Is there is is this completely a matter of kind of opinion, or or is this is this on the no Christians? There's a line of irresponsibility if you go too far. There's there's too much uh, power grabbing if you go if you go the other way. Like what is kind of the the I don't know what I want to say, the sweet spot in the middle or whatever, what should Christians be doing with this? You know, James Smith says in the book that we recently went through as a staff, you are uh, what you love. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, you are what you love. Okay. Um, In that book, he described that there are technologies, there are different things that actually um, don't just serve us, but they actually shape us. And I think this is kind of how I look at it, is that 
there's just no way to deny the fact that to be engaged in whatever aspect of culture is not just going to be something that you dump your uh, opinions and your uh, your ideas into, but it, it, it then turns around and affects you. Mm-hmm. Okay? So mm-hmm. I think one of the major problems that we have is we, we kind of have a, a bit of a neutral idea about these things. Politics is neutral. Um, business is neutral. Um even you know, going back and even in terms of how how a church functions, that's just neutral. Yeah. Instead of recognizing, no, I mean, as we've seen a number of uh, big name pastors in this country go through their struggles, I'm reminded of what Carl Truman said: was just you cannot be a nationally recognized, famous, people applauding you, money, power, and it not shape you and affect you. Now. Um, there are, I mean, obviously there's the Holy Spirit and there is uh, character and there's Christian community that can combat that. But to try to walk into this blind, mm-hmm. like somehow a person can to can ascend into the realm of political power, that they can do this and somehow not be affected, or even those who are trying to sway, it's the, it's the selling out of the greater idea mm-hmm. that concerns me. Mm-hmm. It is the becoming like that which we're trying to convert that concerns me. Mm-hmm. And that's not just true in college students who go to bars and who end up being like their drunk friend. I'm trying to witness to them. Well, you ended up becoming just like him. I think that can actually be said of, of uh, segments of Christian community, that we become um, manipulators, that we become power hungry, that we become power dependent. So when we lose, it feels like death. Mm-hmm. We feel completely powerless mm-hmm. unless our uh, our ideas get passed. And that is, that, that's when I want to say, okay, let's go back to square one. Yeah. And so I think that's what concerns me. And I don't think we give that much thought. We don't want to be critical of how the system itself is in fact uh, well, I mean, I'll just, I'll say what Paul maybe describes it demonic. Yeah. Right now. I know that's a little bit of a loaded term, sure. but I mean, but he seems to say the principalities and powers of this dark age, right? Which doesn't mean everybody in politics is demonic, but yep. the way of the world, mm-hmm. right? So that which is apart from the kingdom of God is in fact demonically run organized. Yeah. So how we engage it has to be as children of salt and light. Mm-hmm. And just to look, if, if you want to accept the general proverbial truth that history is doomed to repeat itself. A quick survey of the church's power throughout the centuries will tell you that when the church is most powerful is generally played out to be the times when the church was the least healthy. It has been the times of great sickness. The The Roman Catholic Church, well, at that point it would have just been the Catholic Church, but the, the church had more power than it knew what to do with and the result is the reformation we have to like keep this in check the even the moral majority of the 80s and early 90s and the religious right like it's it betrays a christianity that is founded on god's blessings as they're perceived and coming to us in power and less on having christ himself and therefore like the churches uh, i think that those are times where the church at least at the national level has some problems in it. Yeah, most likely they they will run alongside the points in t- in history when the church is incredibly powerful, which which betrays kind of our understanding of how God blesses the church. He will bless us by uh, or or our our rise to power is 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 a sign of His good favor. And then when we lose the power, it's that's when the despair sets in because yep. you've confused 
power and prestige and even just having an influential seat at the table with the fact that you were following God faithfully and that they might not correlate so closely. And I, in fact, I would argue pretty strongly that they don't. Well, so I mean, this, go ahead. No, well, go I was ahead. just going to say, this is, this actually kind of hits right on, you know, my struggle that, that really kind of, um, that I've, I've worked through for the last seven, eight years is this idea that, um, it does seem like, as you look back, that when the church, as, as Ryan said it, when the church has the most power in a culture, a lot of times it is becoming the weakest spiritually. It is becoming less dependent on God and more dependent on its own political power, and, and that has disastrous consequences. And, and when we, and as Jim kind of said, that a lot of times we have to recognize that the more we engage in anything, be it business, politics, art, um, that it's not just us shaping those things. Those things are shaping us. Mm-hmm. Politics is shaping us. So that's actually what has led me to go, in, in the past at least, then we should wash our hands of the whole thing. Like, let's step away from this and just, hey, they do their kingdom, the world does their kingdom, we do, we do our kingdom, and let's just kind of step away. Is, is that the answer? Or, yeah, how, what do you do with that? Yeah, well, it's interesting you, you even bring that up. So you describe your convictions, and then you say, is that what we should do? And I think that's a great reminder. Um, so here's what I'm frustrated with. I mean, you talked about political agnostic. I don't know if you took this from me or I took it from you. That is my political leanings on Facebook. Yeah. I have literally have as what is your, I am a political agnostic, which uh, essentially means I do not know whether or not politics ultimately matter, even though I have a fascinating interest in them. I'm, I've always been. I've studied political science in university and um, really kind of thought myself to be um, maybe to, to not not to be in political power, but to be involved in the political process much yeah. more than I, uh, than I am. I always thought when I was younger this would be something I would be very interested in, and obviously for kingdom reasons. And the more that I uh, notice the use of the, the – the pronoun I, the more that I and the more that I, and then the more that I and the more that I, that I have determined that I should. And that is the leading of the Spirit for me. And I think one of the problems that I have seen on this particular issue is when we start uh, from the deep convictions of the I start demanding on the we. Mm -hmm. And that's the part where I want to go back and say, well, but I don't think the Bible is clear enough. Mm -hmm. Now, it's very clear on, hey, we submit and we pray for um, it's very clear on um, we love our enemies. It's very clear on a whole bunch of different things that we don't have. We don't have a hopelessness. We don't have despair. Um, but I don't think the Bible is totally clear. For, and, and I think let me just kind of stereotype this, and I won't even kind of label the parties, although I'm not afraid to. But um, let's say one party uh, represents uh, personal responsibility, and the other party represents um, compassion mm-hmm. for the outcast or for the marginalized. Okay, which one of those is a biblical idea? And I, and I think that, in essence, kind of becomes part of the problem is that, um, you know, and I know that's a very superficial way of looking at it, but everybody has deep, for those of us who are true followers of Jesus Christ, who are really trying to integrate um, his teachings into our lives and have kind of gone in that direction, um, I, I've talked to some friends of mine who I disagree with in terms of the people that they want to put in power to bring about the change, okay? Disagree with their with their ultimate decision. But I totally believe in their logic. Hmm. I believe the, this is how we care for the poor. I believe this is how we care for the disenfranchised. I believe this is how we care for um, the, na- the the world. I think this is our responsibility to the – and they give me gospel reasons. And I'm like, yeah, I don't – I agree with you totally on everything that you said. How did you get to person X? That's what I don't get. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. 
Well, no, because I think he's the one that can do it. And I want to go, well, no, he's not the one who can do it. This over person over here, they are the one who are going to be able to accomplish, interestingly enough, all the same things. Yeah. Okay? So, therefore, I don't know if I can say pull out. I don't, I don't know if I can say, um, like, this is the biblical answer. The reason why I don't stand up on a Sunday morning and say this is the person you should vote for, okay, is because that overrides so much of what the Spirit is doing. It overrides so much of what um, of what is actually going on in our community, mm. our faith, mm. okay? And so that's the reason why. It's not because the government says I can't do it or they'll take my 501c3. If God came down and said, you tell my people to vote for person Y, I'll say it, no matter what it costs us, Yeah. right? So I think that becomes, I think, part of the issue. And so I, I think that when you go back and look at this, I think Drew has to answer that question. I think Drew and Amy need to answer that question. I think Drew and Amy need to give their children ideas how to answer that question. Um, but what if Huddy is called by God to make a difference? And it usually starts like this. What if God is called? What if Huddy is called by God to make a difference? And he runs for uh, just a county commissionership because he cares about his community. And he does a really, really good job. And somebody hears about it in Oklahoma City, and they say, "Hey, listen, you should run for." And he goes there and he does a great job. Right, and it just yeah. keeps going. I mean, I don't think I would ever say if you ever said, you know, Huddy, we've kind of taken more of a standoff because we believe in the kingdom. You wouldn't say that if he worked for IBM, and you wouldn't say yeah. that if he worked for OSU. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I really see politics and business and, um, you know, whatever avenue of life, I, I see them as all the same in that sense, and Christians need to engage in them mm-hmm. at the leading of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think too a, a proper degree of engagement is aided by a, a proper understanding of what it is you're even trying to vote for or decide on, because I think that you can get completely twisted sideways if you are voting for someone because your hope is in whatever it is they're able to provide, <laughs> because you think that there is a problem. We'll go at the national level because that's kind of what we're dealing with right now. You think there's a problem at the national level, even the international level, and person X can fix it. I would just say, I think you have a completely overinflated view, first, of person X. Yeah. Um, second, uh, I don't even think you understand how the government works. Um, <laughs> and then third, I think you have completely taken your eyes off the sovereignty of God and placed it on the sovereignty of this person yeah. wearing a pin on their lapel. Yeah. And they and they aren't sovereign. And they're not. Yeah. And, so. and, com- and, and flawed and, and, you know... When, it, when, when I get asked questions about, you know, whatever candidate in whatever race, you know, I, I like to just say that you do realize that if you're trying to win me to whoever it is you, you favor on a moral, on moral grounds, you are fighting the most uphill battle. I think every person involved is so morally flawed that you can't win me to their morality. You can't win me to the fact that they're going to influence because they're now, I think that we need to consider their character and consider their ethics and their trustworthiness agreed. But if you want me to, yeah, that one, I get real worked up about that. <laughs> but, um, well, I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, and even it's interesting when we look back, um, we, we, I hear people talking about how terrible the situation is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I dare say if we knew as much about previous. Um, and, listen, and let's just not, it's not just presidents that make differences, right? Like yeah. we get all excited about just the president, but I think if we go back in time, we would find that there were some pretty um, corrupt people yeah. involved in the political process. And somehow we made it to here. 
Yeah. Um, I'm not one to believe that we had a golden age in the past mm-hmm. that was somehow perfect. I mean, listen, grateful. I mean, and I, I am a Canadian, you know, in America, and I am incredibly grateful. I have traveled the world, and I am grateful. I, I know a lot of people that have a bit of a negative attitude about America, and I just want to ask them. I, had a, I want to ask them, have you been somewhere else? Like, have you seen how other countries work and how other countries live? I mean, I know America has its struggles and its difficulties. I know that. I mean, I, and I, and I want to be a part of the solution to those things. Just go somewhere else. I was talking Sunday with a with a young young man that I've uh, been blessed to get to know, and he spent a year working in Ethiopia and loves the Ethiopian people, loves God's kingdom in Ethiopia, and came home and said, "I'm just glad I live in America." And that's not some kind of crazy patriotic red, white, and blue mindless. Um, you know, he's but but he's saying, listen, for all of America's problems, there's a lot to be grateful for, mm-hmm. and I just think we need to remember even some of that mm-hmm. that there probably wasn't as much of a golden age as we like to think there was. That there was a lot of it just just wasn't known. Yep. You know, um, and 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 on the other end, um, I I didn't put all my hope there to begin with. So when I hear people talk about, you don't understand, if we just get these people, then they will elect these people, and then that will ensure. And I want to say, no, even when you go back and you take a look, it actually doesn't work. That's so formulaic. And I just see yeah. so many other variables. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have, uh, I, I have lived in this country when I have been excited about the president and where I have had to genuinely pray because I've been frustrated with the president's ideology and mm-hmm. lifestyle and everything. Okay, so I mean, I've, yeah. I've been on both sides. But if I were to just sit back and take a look, I don't know if I could consciously relate to him everywhere that this country is going yep. based on that one person. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so for that reason, I'm there. I, I don't have any kind of. Everybody asks me, "You moving back to Canada after November?" <laughs> no. Have you like, looked at their system. Have you looked at? Yeah. Have you actually have you have you seen the Canadians? I mean, yeah. um, uh, no. I mean, I'm still really grateful to be in this country and to be yeah. a part of this whole thing. Yeah. And as much as um, I may have uh, deep opinions, and as much as I might have frustrations, and as much as I might want to critique those um, who are running, uh, the real truth is that I, I didn't put my hope in them to change yeah. the world anyway. And in, in and in an un an unbridled hope in them will lead you down the road where you are willingly blinding yourself to the flaws. So you'll have this overinflated view of person X and you'll have an overinflated view of the 1950s or of Abraham Lincoln. If you want to tarnish his reputation, just go read a history book. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln wasn't this golden boy that did these incredible things. He did incredible things, no golden boy. Yeah. And it's like I can I'm thinking through all of our presidents and wondering what it would have been like if they had a Twitter account. And just the train wreck that would have ensued. Sure, sure. yeah. And yeah. and I, I find that that blindness is usually associated with someone who has hope in something that no one can ever deliver. A human being is never intended to yeah. deliver on these hopes you've placed in them. Okay, so last question briefly. If you were, uh, as we kind of enter into these, these last couple months before the election and probably people's social media feeds get more and more filled up with political things and we're thinking about it more and more and more. Uh, if you could give just kind of one piece of advice, one thought or one, hey, remember this, hang on to this, to our people. Um, Jim, what would that be? Um, I don't want this to be my one. I want to add some. I want two. Okay. You, you, okay. you want to do one and Ryan yes, can do and then, one? Okay. Because yeah, yeah. my first one's going to be super word. fast. Okay. My first one would be you know what you need to realize is that the way that media is now coming to you is incredibly tailored 
to your interests that you may not know what the other side says or believes as much as you think they do. Mm-hmm. So whether that would be if you're getting I got I had a person say to me the other day, listen, I get almost all my news through Twitter. And um, a lot of those media outlets, so forget even the the mainline or the mainstream ones, um, they're basically giving you what you want. They're mm-hmm. kind of reading and checking up on. They're kind of analyzing your interests your and tastes. And yeah, that. your internet use, and they're telling you what you want. And I think that's dangerous. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a it's it's just kind of an isolated view of the world and an isolated view of what's going on in America. And uh, I would just say my the number one thing is is that be really careful getting all of your information from one source. Good, good, Ryan. I would want to remind our listeners to always keep the uh, we've talked about it already, but to keep the sovereignty of God kind of in front of your eyes. And if you need some some uh, kind of context for how that looks, check out um, first six chapters of Isaiah. All of Zechariah, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. These are all areas in our scriptures that describe the world powers that were considered overtly evil mm-hmm. as being in place and being in positions of power because God put them there. And that is such a sobering thought. Uh, you know, I, I was having a conversation with a friend who moved away a few years ago, and, and he is all in support for one of the candidates and completely against the other one. And I just told them, I said, you know, contrary to maybe how you feel, the simple fact that Barack Obama has been president for two terms tells me that that was what God was intending to do. He put Clinton in the White House the first time, put Bush in the White House, put Obama in the White House. Whoever lands in the White House come January is going to be the choice. It's not like we circumvented God's sovereign prerogative. It's, again, go to those texts. God God doesn't like deal with the qualities of the emperor. He just says obey him. Yeah, and I have. Uh, I'll just say I have found in my own life that my my own anxiety over our country and stuff increasing when I'm spending more time reading about the election and about candidates than I am about God. That I just find myself <laughs> getting more tense and more concerned about it because mm-hmm. my mind is more there than than what you described. But and Ryan knows this. Um, but there are people that are going to hear you say that and go, so you're telling me God wants Clinton to win, that God wanted Bush to win, that God wanted Obama to win. And that's not what you're saying. Nope. You're saying that as God is orchestrating all events for his purposes, that he is in power, yeah. that he is in control, that nothing has done. If, if he wanted it different, it would be. Yep. You know, and that's the difference. I mean, some people, when we say that, it sounds like a resignation, even kind of some of the accusations we make against those of our reform brothers and sisters in the Calvinist perspective, that it's it's more of a resignation. No, it's not. Um, it's not. It's not a resignation, meaning that I've got nothing to do, but it is a resignation admitting that I'm not the one in complete sovereign power yep. over all things. And and your greatest danger is when you come when you when you come to the table with some half-hearted attempt to explain God's kind of thought process as he puts whoever it is in the white house and that that's just an area that you have to be very careful walking into and and i would say if if it looks bleak the the biblical testimony to that is that god is probably placing certain people in positions of power as a as an act of judgment (laughs) i mean that's that's the like that's the safest answer i can give i can't give any answer with any certainty i can't presume to know the mind of god but whatever he 
um, decides to, to do or to permit or however you want to view that, he understands what he's doing, and I have to submit to the fact that I'm a finite creature questioning the infinite and bow out real quick. So my, my, my one thing would be intentionality. Is that I, I really think going back to we used you as an example, Drew. That I, I mean, I trust you with this. I I, I know um, that you're genuinely seeking kingdom ideas, and I trust your opinion. So you come to me and say, I feel led by the Holy Spirit to vote for X or Y. Uh, I feel led to to even influence those around me to work in that direction. I would say, okay. I would ask questions uh, on 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 almost anything. I'd say, hey, listen, you know that X means this, and Y could mean that, and then I trust you. To work that out, I think that's a it's a cruel, but it, it, there has to be a level of intentionality. I think so often there's a resignation, and I love to engage people on the question of um, do you find your heart being deeply troubled yeah. when you think about this person winning? Do you find your heart being uh, greatly uh, inspired if you see this other person winning? And then why is that? I mean, because those are signs that something might actually be wrong. Mm. So that great desperation and that great that disproportionate sense of things. Maybe a sign that your your uh, your your wants and your desires are are not properly um, not properly placed, and so I think that level of intentionality, also the level of intentionality in terms of um, engaging other people and respecting people. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing that I've always been really saddened by in terms of the church is their inability to um, to remember some of the truths that Jesus has already given us or the Apostle Paul has already he's already said things like like don't be complainers mm-hmm. like don't and don't be argumentative and don't get caught up in foolish debates like these are things that are Christian ideas okay yeah and it just seems like when it comes to politics all of that can just go by the wayside yeah. I can be anything I want I can be as rude as I want I can be as careless as I want I can be all of those things. And for the sake of the kingdom, that even when I disagree with person because of their belief that person Y can actually change the world, um, it still does not give me um, any kind of uh, position where I can be unchristian towards yeah. them. Yeah. And I think if we remained in that sense Christian and in that sense intentional, mm. even in our engagement, um, then I think we can have some honest conversations um, and hopefully lead people to a better understanding of who God is and what God desires. Uh, my greatest hope is in the kingdom of God, and um, the good news is that's doing great. Yeah. Like, and it, it doesn't even need um, Washington or Oklahoma City um, to for it to function properly. Yeah. One last thing I had back to the conversation. So you were getting two as well. Yeah. Well, you took two and a half. I mean, that that one was not quite just one. On the sec- anyway, but I did it under the arching idea of intentionality. I know, that was that was sneaky, but I saw what you were doing. <laughs> Uh, back to my buddy, though, and I, I was actually, this is not my position, but I was defending someone else's right to not vote for either major candidate. And and his response to them was, if you don't vote, you forfeit for four years the right to complain about the way things are going. And I asked him, why do I need that right? Like, <laughs> complaining is not a Christian virtue. Yeah. Maybe what I should be looking for is the right to suffer well. That is a Christian virtue. <laughs> I said, I'd rather you engage in long-suffering than four years of complaining just because you voted for someone that lost. It's good. It's good. Appreciate you guys. So uh, tell me, so what's your idea? Oh. Um, I would say, uh, actually, I kind of like yours, that maybe one of the best political advice we could give is love your neighbor. Um, 
and then trust in God and love his kingdom so much that regardless of what happens in November, uh, sleep well because your, your true king is still on the throne. It's kind of what I would say. So. And with that, um, with my final word, <laughs> we will wrap up and we'll, uh, we'll talk about something less controversial next hey, time. Wait, wait, I got to say this. <laughs> you do realize, though, we never mentioned anybody's name. That's true. I think that's hilarious. That's true. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, we might we might want to do another one where we come back and say, okay, let's. And we weren't afraid to. I mean, honestly, at least I wasn't afraid to. Yep. I just thought, you know, for this one, it was important for us to deal more with the bigger issues. But yeah. maybe we need to come back and say, okay, let's 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 get, let's get I, a little messy. I was hoping that this could be a conversation that dealt with the foundational issue apart from yep. the lunacy of person. Don't say their names. Two. Don't say so, names. Don't say names. Disregard my last comment about our next one being less controversial. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be we'll be back next week with our final podcast episode. This <laughs> will be shut down no. after, after we talk <laughs> about they each storm, my they're name. They're storming the studio. <laughs> All right, next time. <laughs>